There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. This week on Inside Jobs, Brian, Gene, and Lee investigate the business plot. In 1933, big business interests approached an American general with a plot to overthrow the government and instill a fascist dictatorship. How close did America come to a coup in the 1930s? Joining me to discuss the business plot are civilian investigator Eugene Dickstein O'Neill. Gentlemen. And conspiracy expert Lee Golden. Let's get down to business. (laughs) I'm historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Grobs. <laughs> oh, man. We're back in the saddle. We got the band back together. I'm really sad that we had to cut out that montage of Brian getting in a van and getting us all back together. Yeah, I needed the uh, the civilian guy, the conspiracy guy, the tiny acrobat guy who could fit in a suitcase. Got us all together, and now the we're back. The blind guy ready- in the van who has to drive it at the end of the movie. <laughs> I, I quit my job at Chez Pierre. <laughs> what is that from? Uh, I think that's the name of the restaurant the guy from in uh, Blues Brothers works at. <laughs> we had a musical. You'll uh, never get him to Monta- quit Chez Pierre. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, we did take a week off because of holiday travel, but now we are back in business, and we have a brief announcement uh, to head the top of the show. And that is that because this show is basically killing me, <laughs> um, we are going to revert to a bi-weekly schedule because it's just too, too many hours uh, in the week to, to get it together to produce on a weekly basis. So after this episode, we will be jumping into a bi-weekly uh, format, which I think will help keep the quality level high. Yeah. We could have so. just personally told the two or three people that listen to the episodes like, <laughs> as they come out and not just like have a forever stack of five or six or nine or ten inside job episodes to catch up on. But today we have today is a very cool topic because it's not one that a ton of people know about. And if you do know about it, you might have just heard, you know, hit oh, yourself in the head until you have brain damage and don't remember it so you can learn it all yeah. over again. Yes, very good. If you but, do uh, know about it, you're probably involved in the conspiracy if it existed. Yeah, if you do know about it, why would you listen to this one? Why just, were you that guy take on YouTube a who accused me of being part of the Thought Police? Shit. Uh, YouTube comments. Is there a higher form of discourse in this country? I, you know, I try not to look at my, my YouTube comments because it's mostly people talking about how awful... Uh, Ronald Reagan was, and then how great Ronald Reagan was, and then accusing me of uh, being thought police. So, but occasionally I'll I'll step in and like take a look at the the shit that's being slung across my channel and uh, laugh and cry. Have you ever successfully not looked at YouTube comments? Yes, you say, on a regular you you, basis. You say you try not to. Gene, that's entrapment. You you have to tell him that you're a thought police cop. <laughs> yeah, that is entrapment. That is Sean Connery looking at Catherine Zeta-Jones' butt as they practice laser escape. As they practice laser escape. <laughs> laser escape. <laughs> Shit right, that's guys, never been said. We are traveling back to 1933, but we are not traveling to January 30th, 1933. It is... 
rather later on in the year that uh, all of this gets started. But before we get to that period, we have to talk about a guy, and I think this is a new uh, aspect of the show where we have real name alerts. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is one of the Uh, best real names we've had, even better than Israel Finkelstein, I think. Yeah, or Dr. Assman. (laughs) <laughs> uh, from from the uh, the Exodus episode or Hitler Weed Boner okay. four twenty. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Major General Smedley Butler. Was... <laughs> I know Smedley Butler was uh, uh, a highly decorated Marine general. That is actually just in his own right. He's just a really fascinating person. Yeah, the dude um, is pretty be- awesome. Because it's kind of like, um, so Eisenhower served, you know, his entire career in the military and then acted as the president and served all of these sort of moneyed uh, imperial interests for the, gov- for the government. And then Hell, on his he's very on last, the dollar coin. Yeah, on the very last day, he's like, oh, by the way, all uh, war is terrible and we probably shouldn't do it ever. And it. You know, every time we make bullets, we're taking food out of a hungry child's mouth. It was basically like that Fiona Apple speech at the MTV Music Awards, where she's like, I'm going to take this award, but fuck all of you and fuck MTV. Or it's like the time Chris Novacelic threw a bass guitar into the air, and then it landed on his head, and he had a concussion. <laughs> um, no, but so Smedley Butler was similar in that he, his entire military service was purely in the, in the period of American... Uh, foreign policy where America really embraced its role on the world stage. So he joined up at the age of 17 in 1898 to participate in the Spanish-American War where uh, he shipped off to the Philippines and participated in some brutal fighting and... Including uh, faking the main explosion, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Remember when I thought we could do a whole episode on the main? That, that's pretty much idiot. all it is. is Smedley yeah. Butler faked, uh, did a black flag um, attack on our own ship. <laughs> um, no, he, he went to the Philippines where he participated in some horrible fighting and brutal repression of the local Filipino uh, population. Have we ever uh, done then... anything nice for the Filipino people? Like, every time I hear about like our relations to the Filipino stuff or Filipino people, it's always America being awful. Yeah, no, I cannot. I cannot think of anything I positive. I think the MGM Grand gave Pacquiao a pretty nice uh, contract. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I assume that's funny. That's a bo- that's a boxing thing. Wow, right? even Brian knows a sports fact. Well, Brian knows anything about like shirtless men just like uh, having to be pulled In apart real conquest combat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but then so uh, then he traveled around uh, around the world, engaging in you know some of the. Uh, worst blights on uh, America's record abroad. He uh, fought in the Boxer Rebellion, where he got the nickname Old Gimlet Eyes. <laughs> uh, because his weird. eyes were cocktails. Yes. Uh, and he, Gene, was, he, he was drunk. He was Gene, drunk. you probably remember the Boxer uh, Revolution from the game Bioshock 3, in which you go to a museum exhibit based on the Boxer Revolution, and you have to fight a robot George Washington. I recall the Boxer Revolution from Fight Night 3 came out on the <laughs> Xbox 360. Okay, good. It's the best in the series because you got to create your own character. Cool. And you just created John Coolman? <laughs> yeah, you created John Smedley Coolman. Butler. 
Um, so Smedley Butler then traveled around uh, other places in, for instance, Central America. He was one of the Marines who helped establish uh, the foothold that allowed the fruit companies to really take over in Honduras, for instance. Um, he fought in Guatemala, Mexico City. Haiti, and, right? Uh, Haiti, yes, certainly. He got and two medals of honor, right? Which is like what you yeah. do. If you fuck over like two Asian countries, then you get two medals of honor in America. Yeah. And the medal of honor, just so people know, is the, it's the highest uh, recognition that you can get for military service. But the... Uh, Other than being the president. Yeah, but you primarily only Man, get that it, president uh, medal. <laughs> it's a great medal. Uh, t- yeah, um, you primarily uh, get it um, for trying to save Bubba's life, but um, failing at the end. But then carrying on the tradition of your business together. Um, it's hard to get. It's mostly awarded posthumously. So when someone uh, survives and receives it, it's a big deal. And when they receive it twice and are still alive, it's it's really impressive. So um, it wasn't that impressive when Peter O'Toole won it just yesterday. Yeah, it was more of a lifetime or death time achievement award yeah. when he got it. It was kind of like, he's not that great in this movie, but like he's been in so many other good movies that will give him the Medal of Honor. Yeah, he wasn't this great in this genocide, but yeah. he got robbed on that genocide yeah. from the Honduran genocide. Yeah, they Denzeled <laughs> him, basically. Oh, boy. No, nah, Denzel was good in Training Day. Right, but he was better in Malcolm X. Splitting hairs, really. Yeah. Same same character, basically. <laughs> same <laughs> character. <laughs> Little known fact, <laughs> Training Day is actually about the time that Malcolm X drugged somebody uh, while a cop. Well, he faked his death, changed his name to Machiavelli, and then he spent time training in LAPD until he could work his way up and... <laughs> Martin Luther King Kong ain't got nothing on me! What? What? King Kong ain't got nothing on me. And then oh, okay. Married that with it. Martin Luther King. Come on, guys. Oh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> that was a good interlude. Yeah. Um, so then uh, Smetley Butler did something that uh, by the, he didn't serve in World War One, but he served all through the 20s. And then in uh, the early 1930s, he made a PR error when he uh, stated to the press that he had overheard that Benito Mussolini, the uh, dictator of fascist Italy, had hit a child with his car and had it covered up. And the Italian government was furious and they demanded that he be uh, fired. And Hoover, President Herbert Hoover, who also stayed in the same suite as Kevin McAllister in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, uh, pressured Butler to resign, and he eventually did. He resigned as uh, a major general and entered public service working as the um, civilian general yes he was no he worked as the as the civilian manager of a private public general safety for in hire <laughs> yeah he was fighting the contras <laughs> Um, no, but he, he worked as the director of public safety in Philadelphia, which he claimed was very hard. And he also started touring, uh, in, uh, giving speeches, the most famous, of, famous of which was called war is a racket. And if you will indulge me, I will read you a we quote will not. from this. Yep, you will. Oh, shit. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty stunning, uh, dismissal of war and, uh, um, not just war, especially coming from a military man, but just capitalism. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and here we go. War is a racket. It always has been. It is possibly the oldest, easily the most profitable, surely the most vicious. It is the only one international in scope. It is the only one in which the profits are reckoned in dollars and the losses in lives. A racket is best described, I believe, as something that is not what it seems to the majority of the people. Only a small inside group knows what it is about. It is conducted for the benefit of the very few at the expense of the very many. Out of war, a few people make huge fortunes. And the speech goes on to... And that little war that nobody liked grew up to be World War II. (laughs) <laughs> and now you know the rest of the story. Uh, uh, but uh, he, um, <laughs> he he went on to to describe his um, his career as essentially working as the muscle man for big business and Wall Street bankers and muscle the powerful man. moneyed elite, elites of the United States. And another quote from it that I think is pretty great is: "Looking back on it, I might have given Al Capone a few hints." The best he could do was to operate his racket in three districts. I operated on three continents. So this guy was obviously a very controversial political figure as well. Um, a little bit of now a bragger, next, too. Yeah, a little, little, bit of, little bit of a bragger. Can you I point that out right. that there's a on, on his wiki page, there's a, a picture of him in a car, and it says, Butler sitting in a car at Gettysburg during a Pickett's Charge reenactment by Marines in 1922. Which implies well, the, that their like historical reenact- record is spotty at best. Well, yeah, we don't know how many. Cars they're reenacting there were Gettysburg, Gettysburg in cars, which to me sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> just people in like 1920s cars, but like wearing World War II outfits, just like charging down the, the field of battle at Gettysburg. I would pay. Yeah, just imagine if cars had been around during the Civil War. Yeah, dude. Imagine Your how regular- cool glory would be. You're regular hairy turtle dove in that sense. It would have just been twisted metal, the Civil War. (laughs) You're a regular (laughs) hairy turtle dove in that you're going to write too many novels. (laughs) Harry Turtle Dove wrote a a book called The Guns of the South, and it's about South African racists traveling back to the Civil War and providing Robert E. Lee with (laughs) AK-47s. Not even M-16s. Well, they're South African. They rely primarily on the Kalashnikov. Um... So is Butler also uh, d- spoke out in favor of, favor of the yeah, bonus anyway. army. <laughs> yeah. So the bonus army was um, a group of about 40,000 U.S. soldiers and veterans who marched on Washington demanding pay. Basically, They what were pretty happened, much like the original Occupy movement. Yeah. Basically what had happened is... Uh, many, many veterans of World War One and uh, other veterans of the United States Army um, were pro- were given promissory notes that yeah, it was were the 1924 World War Adjusted uh, Act or Compensation Act or the Dream Act. <laughs> um, it and it was basically these these soldiers were given bonds. The No could... Soldier Left Behind Act. <laughs> Obamacare. Um, And so Obamacare basically promised these soldiers uh, bonds. They got a promise of a bond that would be put into um, – that would be uh, matured with compound interest. But it was like a lame bond like Moonraker or World is Not Enough. 
Oh boy. Ugh. Tugging the shirt. Yeah, all yeah, over yeah. Here. <laughs> um, and it was go. They were only able to access it um, like a decade or so later, and it turned out that they could only. That was not even true. They wouldn't be able to cash in their bonds for actual money until 1945. They were basically hoping they would all be dead or forget about the bonds. Almost exactly. Um, However, in in October 1929, the stock market crash happened and the successive inaction by the Hoover administration caused... Successful entire, you inaction. Know, <laughs> caused caused the, de- the Great Depression to happen. Uh, and so a lot of these veterans were out of work, were out of work for years. And so finally in 19, like June 1932, they formed an organization that they called the Bonus Expeditionary Force or the Bonus Army. And they marched on Washington demanding that they be allowed to cash in their bonds right then and there in order to help them out to survive. People were, you know, basically desperate at this point and they just formed a shanty town in Washington DC and were petitioning Congress to get their their rightful pay and their rightful due. The thing is it would have been like three billion dollars, which was like yeah. half of the government budget, the US government federal budget at the time. So it would have like destroyed the, the economy. Yeah, the U.S. the U.S. government essentially couldn't afford to pay them at the time, which is why they had made these promissory notes in the first place. And so they they didn't want to uh, uh, award the bonus army their payment right then. Uh, and but Butler came and he camped out with the troops and he met with him and he was a wildly popular soldier. Um, he was a, a popular leader of men and he was just uh, really popular with the common soldier as well as this bonus force. And so he gave some speeches and they really, uh, you know, appreciated his um, the publicity he was doing on their behalf. However, uh, I believe it was like June 28th or it might have been July 28th. Uh, Douglas MacArthur, the famed general from... Um, from Tommy uh, Lee Jones' corncob pipe fame. Yes, later on in World War II, who uh, served in the Philippines again, back to the Philippines, um, led uh, uh, it, it, an actual army of U.S. soldiers who destroyed the camps, lit it on fire, beat up members, uh, led the FBI in, who you know arrested a lot of these people. A and lot he was of going rogue for too. Like Hoover did not order him to go in and do this. Yeah, he went rogue. He, I, that is what MacArthur loved to do. It eventually yeah. got him fired. Quantum of Stalis uh, style. He went. He went rogue. <laughs> Only going to make James um, Bond references from now on. Yeah, he was under ghost protocol. Um, <laughs> uh, so, at this point, Hoover is basically a disastrous uh, politician. Nobody can support him. Even Republicans, his own party, had difficulty supporting him. Oryx uh, vacuum cleaner was lighter and more efficient. <laughs> the Dyson was yet to come, but people could see it on the horizon as being the best. Uh, right, and they could cleaner. dry their hands in airports with it. <laughs> yes. Um, what is that th- one thing? The Dyson Airblade? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, yes, it's a guillotine. The, the, that no, uses it's like the, the, yeah, the bladeless. Um, the bladeless fan. Um, so. You could put at your dick point... in it safely. <laughs> oh, shit. Which is like, at this point, all F- those other fans you've tried to fuck over the years. At this point, FDR <laughs> runs, for, runs for president, and his platform is 
I will be semi-conscious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> God, I remember in the in the Onion R Dub Century book, one of the like you know op-ed headlines that doesn't have a full article attached is "Why does our joyless president never dance?" <laughs> yeah, that's an all-time favorite for me. So at this point, FDR gets on the scene and he runs for president and he's elected in a landslide. And a lot of his his promises re- revolve around resolving the great depression so he immediately issued a 100 day bank holiday but then he was um, killed by giuseppe zangara at least according to uh, henry turtle harry turtle <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh that's a lot of inside baseball for 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 folks who listen to this show um no uh but he he also promised you know widespread employment uh, make work programs the works administration he tried to do a lot of uh or he promised that basically this he was... just watched dave and ripped off all of his campaign promises yeah basically <laughs> right. he hired he hired charles groden to establish his policies yeah. and he also uh, hired orson wells to do a uh, version of uh, Macbeth with only african-americans yeah and cradle will rock um so a lot of business interests in the United States who were relatively free of the horrible effects of the Depression mm-hmm. were scared of Roosevelt's presidency. And also and his gold standard policies was, uh, was, was troublesome to them, too. Yes. And can you comment on the gold standard policy? Uh, sure. Lee? Yeah, I mean, um, the the gold standard debate of whether or not the United States economy should stay on the gold standard had been, you know, going on for 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 decades. You know, uh, back to uh, William's Gen- William Jennings Bryan, the "I will not be crucified on a, the cross of gold" because he was a supporter of going to the silver standard, which was the the alternative. Of course, people who had large shares of gold, like um, you know, Oric Goldfinger. Uh, we're not oh, uh, in favor of this. I, I promised. There's only going to be Bond references. Um, <laughs> so th- th- these policies were con- considered uh, dangerous. Kitty, be quiet. Daddy's podcasting. <laughs> is that another bo- – is that a Bond femme fatale? <laughs> yes. Kitty, daddy, <laughs> podcasting was from You Only Live Twice. Um, uh, Gene, I know you have done research into the gold standard. Do you have any – uh, anything to say on this? Or... I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like I've talked to you about it in like Bretton Woods and the Nixon administration and stuff. Uh, yeah. See, I know more about the like the Nixon. Yeah, the Nixon era. The Nixon era. Okay. Imagination. Forget it. Nothing before. No, don't worry about it. Um. So yeah. So. So basically, Roosevelt's gold standard policy was to uh, abandon, abandon it, which a lot of people were wor- wor- worried that it would cause uh, inflationary um, uh, responses from the market and cause the dollar to, you know, lose a lot of its buying power. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of wor- as in it would it would cause Mr. Big to inflate like at the end of Live and Let Die. Oh, oh Jesus. All right, that's the last one. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Okay, so... <laughs> I'm sorry I'm about to break my promise. <laughs> You're going to break your promissory notes, and Gene and I will form a bonus army to come and call in that favor early. Um, no, so a lot of... Yeah, I know. Oh, God, that was terrible. So a lot of businesses were worried about this, and you can go back to the public record and see... Um, Who's going to do of... that? 
Well, I was about to fucking say go back to one of our podcasts. Oh, okay. Go uh, into the archives. Go to House of Records or something. Yeah, no, go into the archives, a.k.a. iTunes, and download <laughs> our uh, Lindbergh Baby Conspiracy uh, episode, because it talks about how Charles Lindbergh was a big old fascist. And I thought that we was... just talked about ladders that whole time. That, there was a lot of ladder talk. If you are a ladder fan, <laughs> you're a ladder I know you are. <laughs> go back to episode seven, the Lindbergh baby conspiracy uh, or kidnapping, and you will learn a lot about ladders. We'll be Foldable back on ladders, ladder sliding ladders, even a regular step stool. We well, got it all covered. Yeah, the, the reason um, why the baby was stolen is because he went under a ladder, which is bad luck. No, yep, it's because an ex-con and an ex-police officer really wanted a baby. <laughs> yeah, that was Charles Jr., I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Charles Grodin Jr. <laughs> who lives in who lives yeah, in What if Charles Grodin is the in this Lindbergh world Charles baby. Grodin Jr.? <laughs> uh. <laughs> he got to be on the set for uh, Clifford. Yeah, he was, he was Clifford's standout. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he was Martin Short. Oh, this is terrible. Yeah, this is going uh, no, deep. If you, if you go back and listen to that episode, we talk a lot about how Lindbergh was, uh, you know, sort of a semi-fascist and how fascism was popular in the United States. Um, there are varying reasons for this, one of which is that fascism is simply a very conservative uh, ideology that is – Oh, really? St- staunchly opposed to communism and the United States itself had just gone and a lot of parts of Europe certainly had just gone through periods of red scares in the 1920s. So the idea of being firmly anti-communist being so so starkly uh, identified with the fascists made it appealing. For instance, Whereas Hitler and the Nazis are known more today for their racial policies and their what? Rock band music. Hitler makes rock band Hitler and the Nazis decided like a rock oh, band. <laughs> You're thinking of the Ramones. Oh, it's like opening for the Ramones is Hitler and the Nazis. Blitzkrieg bop. Um, no, it's um, – so it, it was less known for its racial policies than its staunch opposition to like labor unions. So Mussolini and the um, fascisti in, uh, in Italy had really made their claim on the country and made their stand by fighting off the labor unions. And that was really appealing to a lot of American businessmen. America had for you know decades was essentially staunchly anti-labor union. And there are a lot of stories of, you know, the Pinkerton Detective Agency um, firing on labor unions and strikers and big business pretty much running the show. And now America loves its unions. And now America loves unions. Um, (laughs) No, but then another aspect of why fascist uh, politics were popular was indeed the the racial aspects. I don't think it's controversial to say, but America was still a very racist country then, uh, during the early 1930s and the late 1920s. Um, good thing we got over that. Yeah. Good thing Today, we are finally racist America, post-racist society. Um, but uh, during the 1920s, that was also one of the periods of the rise of the uh, second rise of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, which had become very popular with uh, a lot of rural communities and also a lot of business leaders in locations where, um, 
you know, sort of the steel industry, the coal industry, a lot of those types of businesses were located. Um, so fascism was very popular and specifically Nazi fa style fascism became much more popular amongst a lot of the business elite of the United States. Uh, if you ever want to go into this, there's uh, the American Bund, which happened in the later 1930s, um, was an American Nazi party that had rallies even at Madison Square Garden. And there are some insane, there's insane film footage and pictures that show the leader Rockwell, like giving speeches to these to uh, a Norman, non Norman Rockwell. Uh, sorry, yes, Norman Rockwell. Uh, he's standing in front of paintings of the Four Freedoms. Yeah, paintings which are in front of paintings of the Beer Hall Poosh. Yeah, f freedom, f freedom from miscegenation, freedom from. I can't do it. I, I, I'm not going to say this. it's going to be terrible. This is the rally where <laughs> George Costanza was going to talk about the game, right? <laughs> yes, this is the rally where George Costanza uh, was going to talk about the game. Um, but there, no, there's a famous picture and there's this huge painting of George Washington above all these people waving swastikas and not other Nazi paraphernalia. It's pretty insane. Uh, but, but in the 1930s, then, Nazis weren't that bad. Well, it, it, they were bad. They were always bad, but the extent to their badness was not known. It was in 1933. It was unknown that Hitler would bring about the Holocaust and the attempted destruction of the European Allegedly. Jewry. Yeah. And <laughs> they were and bad World in the Michael II. Jackson allegedly bring about bad. the Holocaust. They were bad in the like Al Capone kind of way. Like they were essentially a gangster type party that existed in another country in dealing with affairs that seemed wildly outside the scope of m mainstream American politics. And, and only culture. Kevin Costner and Sean Connery could take him down. <laughs> Talking about the Untouchables. And, and since uh, then, <laughs> film has really romanticized. Uh, Nazis, much like they have organized crime. Yeah, like in that movie where only Harrison Ford and Sean Connery can stop them. The Untouchables. Harrison Ford isn't in that fucking movie. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah, is. I'm, talk I'm confusing that with Indiana Jones. And yeah, you are. <laughs> um, so this brings us to 1933, when Smedley Butler later claimed that he was approached by some big business people who wanted to overthrow FDR and institute a new secretary position in the government that would actually be uh, a puppet for Wall Street interests yeah. in order to run the country by fascism. The secretary of Wall Street interests. <laughs> right. And to, over <laughs> and to overthrow FDR was pretty easy. All you had to a do was AKA just... Timothy Geithner, am I right? <laughs> All right. To overthrow um, FDR was pretty easy. You just had to, like, dump him out of his wheelchair, basically. This guy can fucking walk. Just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, were, they were like, come to this meeting on the second floor. <laughs> but there was only the, – the highest a building went in 1933 was the second floor. Right, that was the tallest building in the world. Right. Yeah. When they made That's... King Kong that year in the Empire State Building, he, he just fell one story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Denim, the airplanes got him. No. A one-story drop beauty. was a big drop back then. This is the 1930s. Right. No, it wasn't beauty that killed the beast. It was the lack of an elevator. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Uh, here it's uh, 
Butler later claimed that this happened, but during the time he was approached by these people, there was no news of it. But um, he approached Congress and claimed he had been approached by uh, this guy named McGuire. John McGuire. man approached me. (laughs) (laughs) It was Gerald Gerald McGuire, who was uh, like a lawyer and bond salesman for um, the Grayson Mc, Grayson Murphy, one of the directors of um, uh, Goodyear, and who worked with like steel interests and banking interests. Um, and he, McGuire approached him with this other guy named Robert Clark, who said, was a stockbroker, stockbroker and Wall Street uh, guru, and they both approached him under. A semi, like a, a semi legitimate reason. They were tr- trying to form a veterans organization, uh, and the veterans organization was to be known as the American Legion, mm-hmm. and they wanted Butler to be its head. We should explain uh, how the, how um, essential the labor, the uh, I'm sorry, the veterans movements had been in the successful. Um, fascist uh, uh, coups in uh, Italy and Germany. There was a lot that, of disenfranchised uh, veterans who were, were part of uh, the rise of fascism in uh, in Europe, including Hitler himself. Yeah, I mean, uh, in post-World War One Germany, the economy was so devastated and there were mil- literally millions of returning veterans, mm-hmm. um, you know, that the government simply couldn't control. Uh, and they devolved into varying warring factions in mm-hmm. places like Berlin. And, and you couldn't even afford like a, mu- a full mustache back then, which is why Hitler invented the tiny mustache. <laughs> and it cost a whole wheelbarrow of Deutschmarks to get that mustache. <laughs> oh, that was a great – yeah, good one, Lee. Um, but uh, these these groups had you know uh, allegiances to varying political ideologies. The Spartacists, as they were known, were uh, a paramilitary um, communist organization that tried to take over in Munich. The Nazis, of course, were uh, uh, descended from the uh, German Workers' Party. Well, they were descended a... from Atlantean aliens. We we established that earlier. Yes, they were, well, yes, aliens and the German Workers' Party. Um, <laughs> okay, good. I want to clear that up. But then there were other varying uh, uh, organizations that sort of have been lost to history because the Nazis and the, the communists were the ones that were most prevalent. Mm-hmm. But uh, Hitler, in organizing the Nazi Party, the National Socialist German Workers' Party, was able to use a lot of veterans and appeal as a well-decorated veteran of World War One to these people as saying, like, this is this is an organization that respects uh, the military honor that Germany deserves and rejects the kind of stab in the back of the Jewish politicians. And he was able to, you know, really stir up a lot of anti- Jewish anti-communist sentiment while also making these people who had lost a war feel proud and continue in the honorable tradition that they had um, previously claimed as soldiers for the German Empire. Um, 
And similar things had happened in other uh, fascist organizations all throughout Europe. There were fascist organizations in most all uh, most every country in Europe. Yeah, that's how um, the empire rose in Star Wars. There's a lot of like disenfranchised clones from the Clone Wars who uh, um, helped the empire uh, emperor come into power. That's not a Bond reference. Oh yes, you're right. <laughs> so but ours. like in Italy. Italy, Italy, same thing. It was a lot of uh, veterans of World War One, and France also had an organization. Hungary was home to the Arrow Cross, and so uh, it, it it made sense for a fascist a fa- fascist plot to overthrow the United States to start as a, a by deriving its power from a veterans organization. But so Maguire and Clark, who was a former soldier who had served under uh, Butler in China during the Boxer Rebellion, uh, approached him and they said, "You know, we want you to head this organization." Um, they kind of th- sold it as a, a, a reasonable veterans organization but then they kind of started tossing in a lot of you know o- obvious red flags to butler about what they were planning to do uh you mean the thing butler, they were planning to do wasn't alarming enough uh well he <laughs> yes forming a veterans organization is so anti-democratic <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I bet like overthrowing America. Well, no, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't tell him that directly. They, they just gave him an envelope that said "overthrowing America" and slid it across the table. Yeah, like, uh-huh, open in yeah. case of uh, open in case of emergency. Um, Will you no, overthrow told, America? Check one. Yes. No. What they, t- <laughs> <laughs> what they told him was. They wanted him to head their the American Legion that was going to be about half a million veterans and soldiers, and they wanted and and the reason they wanted him is that he was so popular with the troops they knew that he would be a good commander. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted him to go to Roosevelt and deliver an ultimatum. Uh, Roosevelt should cl- should claim sickness and start to reduce his actual participation in the day to day functions of the U.S. executive. And they wanted him to institute a new cabinet-level position called the Secretary of General Affairs. And then they wanted him to appoint Butler to that role. Secretary of Unspecified Services. Yeah, exactly. And then they, so Dave the sec- style, they swapped him out with Bill Murray. And everyone noticed. <laughs> <laughs> um and they basically what they wanted the secretary of general affairs to do was respond directly to wall street interests um now butler is not going to go along with this as we said in the in, in the past like what's so weird about them approaching butler of all people is cuz his is name was funny is is that it's a hilarious name like can you imagine Heil Heil Smedley it, does, it just doesn't really work yes i can imagine uh, it would be great Irish medley. Um, but uh, Butler didn't want to go along with it. Wasn't Dick Dastardly's dog named Smedley? I think it was. Oh, no, it was Muttley. Muttley, yeah. (laughs) Butler wasn't going to go along with this, obviously, because his speeches about war is a racket, his identification with... um, you know, democratic principles. And also, he had even campaigned for Roosevelt in the 1932 uh, election. Yeah, he campaigned to allow them to let a crippled man compete in the Olympics. Um, <laughs> the movie. Well, no, the deal there was he crippled the whole time. 
Yeah, the whole time. His entire time in office, he was crippled. His entire time in office, even when he was in the Olympics, he was he was, <laughs> he was handicapped. Whenever you see a picture of Roosevelt standing, it's because he has these really heavy metal braces on, mm. and because he's leaning on hundred balloons are tied to his head. <laughs> And he's got a little Asian Cub Scout following him around. <sighs> Russ. Uh, Squirrel. No, like uh, his uh, – Roosevelt's son kind of served as a like personal assistant. But in reality, he was there to stand next to his dad so that his dad could lean on him and pretend to be able when to he stand. But yeah, he, he li- <laughs> yeah, he literally was not able to walk or stand up on his own power. Um. Yeah. Luckily, this was before TV, because if the American people had found out about this, they never would have elected yeah. him. Luckily, this was before eyes, and everything everything was just on the radio. <laughs> What's funny is that he wasn't able to walk, but he wasn't uh, able to carry on several affairs. Really? Yeah. He had affairs? He had affairs with young women. Wow. Hmm. You're not going to have affairs with old women, okay? Like his wife, for instance. Hey! You look down there? Oh, stop it. So so Butler was not really willing to go along with this, but he wanted to get more information about it before oh, he FDR's told the authorities. Vasculature and... Oh, oh yeah. boy. Right. So, Let's get out of the inside jobs doghouse. <laughs> so he went to a, a follow-up meeting with McGuire and Clark where, uh, you know, according to his later testimony, he heard them say some pretty controversial things, like some very, um, you know crazy things about what they were planning to do. Right, like the third season of Arrested Development is actually pretty good. <laughs> Shit. Um, and uh, let me see. Come on, it is. The whole Charlize Theron side plot is pretty good. No, I hate no, it. No, I, I thought that even, was I, when I stopped watching the show. Could not finish it. It was awful. I stopped watching the show when it was canceled. <laughs> um. So, so sorry. So, uh, he was approached by McGuire, and he was approached by several other people. Um, this list of people includes... Oh, I don't even know how to pronounce this. Irene? Or Irene? But with two E's at the end? Uh, the head of the DuPont family. Uh, William Doyle, who was part of the American Legion. John Brian Davis, Doyle who was... Murray. Uh, who is a former presidential candidate and worked for J.P. Morgan. Al Smith, who was a actually a very interesting New York governor who was like FDR's longstanding enemy. Uh, John And John J. Raskup. Some of the sources that I looked into claimed that Prescott Bush was involved. Prescott yeah. Bush, of course, being the businessman father of George H.W. Bush and thus yeah. the grandfather of George W. Bush. Yeah, George H.W. The... Bush was always standing behind it to make sure he didn't fall over from being too evil. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I, f- I found conflicting uh, reports on that. And in the end, we'll get into why that might be uh, – why there might be conflicting There's uh, a lot of people who, uh, like, who throw his name in here just because they're the type of people who throw Prescott Bush's name into every bad thing that was happening. Like that horrible mm-hmm. movie, Dark Legacy or whatever. Uh, I think it was called Hoover. Okay, it's called Dyson. He's like the Mr. Burns, basically, of that era. Yeah, he was basically the Mr. Burns of that era. You just I bet they did know each other, game. actually. Uh, so all those people were involved, and Butler... And Butler... <laughs> they were, yeah. 
Butler wasn't really willing to go along with it, but he told them that he would, and he wanted to find out how much money they were willing to invest in this plan. And uh, Clark, the the stockbroker and his former soldier, told the butler this claim that he said, I have $30 million and I'm willing to spend half of it to save the other half. Uh, now mm-hmm. I, I read that in one source and in another source I read that he had, he claimed he had $60 million, but whatever the, the figure was, he had a lot of money that he was willing to invest in this plot. And with the, you know, fortunes of the other people involved, there was a ton of money supposedly going into this plot to overthrow the u.s government um but after meeting with them several times butler finally told congress and eventually testified for the mccormick dickstein committee in november of 1934 <laughs> butler you're real name alert dickstein real name alert senator dickstein um <laughs> and during that testimony butler basically laid out this entire story that we've been going into. He talked about how he's approached from these people who represented the American Legion. He named names. Uh, that is, he told uh, all these people that were involved. And then Cong- the McCormick-Dickstein Committee was formed in order to investigate these in claims. In order to make people hear the word Dickstein more. <laughs> well, they eventually, this, this committee eventually formed, uh, Changed into the House Un-American Activities Committee, which was, you know, responsible for so much. What of a the terrible awful... name change! Yeah, it was responsible for a lot of to the waste awful, a perfectly uh, here... great name like Dick Stein and then invoke an idea of un-American activities. <laughs> Dick Stein is the most American. It's the most patriotic thing you can be. Yeah, <laughs> um, sticking so... your dick into a German beer cup. And so after. <laughs> After he claimed that all of these things happened, including, you know, he said that McGuire went to Italy to study the fascist government there. He claimed that uh, he had seen evidence of money being deposited into various bank accounts. Um, He also noted that he had sex with lots of women at this time, too. (laughs) Yes, he stated under oath that his penis was 13 inches soft, (laughs) uh, which, you know... (laughs) Pretty pretty intense claim, and that his uncle was going to get him uh, the arcade version of Street Fighter Two. <laughs> yes, up top. <laughs> Banger's been asleep this whole time. Uh, but like any any references to uncle who works for video game companies in the 1980s is yeah. welcome in this book. Yeah, he also claimed that he had he knew where his dad's stash of Playboys were, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't let anyone else see it. He would just have to. Uh, see it himself yeah so any oh, by the congressman way, um, that acted on his speech here would get invited to his pizza party yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um but so the the mccormick dickstein committee called in some of these people clark mcguire and they all denied the claims they said that butler was making everything up and at except this for point, the dick size thing <laughs> Except yeah, for the size thing, they were like, "It's incredible! You gotta see yeah, it." Like, we're under oath, okay? It's amazing <laughs> this guy's cock. <laughs> it's amazing this guy. It was the tank. Dickstein Committee. That's kind of what, why it was formed. Yeah. Um, and then the McCormick Dickstein Committee released its findings, but they did it in a peculiar way. 
They released they said... one clue at a time. Each clue is buried <laughs> around the world. <laughs> uh, it said, it seems that Butler's claims are accurate. Yep. And there is some type of conspiracy His at work. His dick is that big. <laughs> His dick is humongous. We couldn't believe it. We thought it was a third arm. Uh, but the government. They, we thought they it was the judicial any, arm. They didn't make any advisements on what to do in terms of following up, nor did they name any of the people that were supposedly involved in the conspiracy. That's basically what Congress is all about. Like, well, we have a lot of ideas. We know what's up, but we're not going to do shit. Yeah. Uh, and so in reaction to this, a lot of the contemporary press uh, basically called Butler a crazy person. Yeah, they buried him. They buried him. Yeah, they, he, he was destroyed by the press. They said this was a huge But, like, hoax. what was in it for him? Like, that, that's the thing. It's like, d- there was no money in it for him. There was no, like, why would he go out on a limb and do this? This is what doesn't make sense for me. He was he, hoping really that... He crazy. He was hoping America would pay him even more money to not overthrow the government. Okay. <laughs> he was Henry Kissinger. Uh, he was trying to get yeah. a bidding war going. Um... And then, you know, some of the some of the people that were sort of nicer to Butler said that, you know, maybe there was talk about this, but it was probably just rich men having too many drinks and sort of shooting the shit about what should happen. Yeah. Kind of like uh, what they claim in, in uh, JFK. JFK. Yeah. They were yeah. talking about triangulation of crossfire. Yeah. <laughs> they were talking about the exact thing that ended up happening. Right. While well, having like a, a the random, like, gay Cuban... Uh, Marie Antoinette, <laughs> like champagne party where Lee Harvey Oswald is just like working on his rifle the whole time. Oh shit! You know what I just realized? Uh, Tommy Lee Jones calls his butler Smedley in that movie. Oh my god! So oh, we're through shit. the looking glass, people. <laughs> black is white um, and white is black because Smedley Butler was white and Smedley was black, but his name is actually Frank Frankie Jensen. So, yeah, so Butler was basically buried in the press. People dismissed it. They thought it was insane. And then... There's no way a guy's dick could be that big. 20 years went by. And this this guy, uh, whose name I wrote down and cannot find. His name was Cock Ballsberg. Yes. His name was Giant Penis. Um, Johnson Dick. Uh, started to started to investigate what exactly it was that um, ha- had happened. Like, was Butler Clay crazy? Was he making it all up? Was he out to get some sort of thing? And in investigating this, this author, who I'm so sorry, I cannot remember. Oh, Archer, Jules Archer in the 1970s. Uh, he in investigating this, he was able to look at the sealed results of the committee, including the names of the people they saw, thought were involved and what they thought happened. And it turns out that the committee was 100 percent convinced that it was that this was an actual thing, that there was evidence of all sorts of plotting going on on the behalf of these uh, Wall Street plotters and that there was even a cover up of their involvement and the supposed plot and the alleged plot in order to protect them after the fact. Yeah, and some people say that it was it was Roosevelt himself that was involved in this because he didn't want to stir too much shit up because he sort of already knew he was um, on a on a short leash 
So it's like, all right, these guys did go against me, but like I might need them later. Also, like I'm already, you know, on on the uh, on a short leash now, so I, I better not fuck with them. And in fact, when he ran for re-election for the forty seventh time, uh, he didn't even mention it in his campaign. Yeah. Um. So so it appears that everything that we know from Butler seems to be corroborated by factual uh, information and evidence in the congressional archives. But we still don't know exactly what they were planning. Uh, Was it exactly what Butler had said? Like, were they telling him the truth about what they were planning? Were they planning to do something maybe a little bit more benevolent in terms of establishing a dictatorship? Were they even planning to help America? (laughs) Were they plan? Well, were they planning to get Butler in there and then, you know, just use just use his popularity with the troops to get to that stage, and then mm-hmm. oust him and and put somebody else in as a president. By the way, were they my, going? My favorite. Noun were they going to execute FDR? Yeah, you're, is that your favorite noun? Yeah, ouster. Like there was an ouster last year, which which sounds yeah. Great. Um, but like yeah, were they going to execute Roosevelt? As you know, some people have claimed. It's the actual details of what was going to happen are a little shady at best. It's a little similar also to our episode, um, I want to say four, about uh, the treason of Aaron Burr, where we don't know exactly what Aaron it was Burr. that Burr was planning. Aaron Burr. Yeah. Uh, where we That's don't the thing know is exactly Butler what... did have the smoking gun uh, to reveal who it was, but he had just uh, taken a big bite out of something and didn't have any milk, so he couldn't tell them. Yeah, it was a peanut butter sandwich because, again, this was the Depression, so people couldn't really afford a lot of turkey or any other lunch. Or (laughs) jelly. Yeah. Brother, can you spare some milk? Um, So, yeah, so that is basically the, the story of the business plot, a forgotten coup attempt against the American government that happened in living memory. Uh, So, Gene, business plot, inside job or not? Total inside job. Total, Attempt, total attempted inside job, I should say. Right. Yeah. A, a, but then a, yeah. Of the American spirit prevailed. Um, Lee, inside job or no? Oh, for sure. It's an inside job. I agree. I Wait, think this what? Is oh, I'm ins- changing my answer then. <laughs> he always does that. I, always, I think this is a great example of the type of you know, hidden or forgotten history that it makes doing this show exciting yeah. and makes the, doing the show really fun to learn about these kind of secret corners of history that, um, you know, you don't usually learn about when you're, when you're reading the history books. Sometimes so, we find the truth. Sometimes we do find the truth. Yeah. You there know, been times like people, we fail um, to find the truth. But people get today. the wrong idea about I think what what we're doing here when I explain like well I have like a conspiracy podcast but it's like it's like a parody of conspiracy podcasts it, it is to conspiracy podcasts what airplane is to airport movies of the seventies and they're yes. like wait what <laughs> I I I, I just can't imagine uh, the poor fans who like stumble on our show. And think it's going to be this like crazy conspiracy podcast, and then it's like twenty five minutes we're of all dick troll jokes. Face. <laughs> and then it's just twenty five minutes of dick jokes. Um, well, and and but, also, uh, it's disappointing probably because like we debunk. We're not about like yeah, dude, aliens totally. Uh, we're well. Nazis. In this case, we bunked it. Yeah, today we totally yeah, we found it. out that it, it was bunk. We bunked um, it. 
Yeah. Oh man, that's good. Bunk with me tonight. No. That's our theme song. Um, so I would like to thank you, Lee and Jean, for joining me to discuss this business plot uh, episode. And I want to thank the fans for listening in. I especially want to f- thank fan Dustin Moore on iTunes, who gave us a great review where he called oh, yeah. us his favorite podcast. And he asked us to do a Jimmy Hoffa episode, which I, it's, I think we were asked in like the initial month yeah, it's on the of short our list. show. And it has been on the short list, and it has always lost out to something else. But we will definitely get around to doing a Jimmy Hoffa We're looking Hoffa for that episode. body. Don't don't worry. We're looking Eventually. for it. Eventually. We should also give a I, shout I, out to uh, Jesse's uh, insane diagram uh, of my face that proves that I'm a time-traveling member of the Nixon administration. So I yeah, encourage which, uh, any fans out there to do uh, either um, – the the uh, slash fiction or the fan fiction that we heard the other day about what happened at the end of the cutoff phone call and also insane diagrams proving things about us. Yeah. Also, that guy who called in that phone call that cut off. Come on. I think he, he was, was murdered. Called. I think he was murdered. I think he really? got too close to the truth, Brian. Oh, oh shit. I think he was. They he, they they found him. Um, uh, some gun runners dumped him, or drug runners dumped him out of the side of a car the day before the podcast. They found him hopped up on drugs, and he died uh, a few days later. Wow! And he said, "These are serious fucking guys." <laughs> His name was Rose Sheremy. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening again. I am sorry, but uh, it just takes so long to put these shows together that I have to. It has to be a bi-weekly show again. I apologize. But thank you for listening and sticking with us. And we will be back in two weeks with a very special episode of Inside Jobs. Until then, follow the money. This week on Inside Jobs, Brian, Gene, and Lee investigate the business plot. It's business. It's business. It's time. Put on your business socks, Mr. Bond.